Hi, my name's Bree, and I have no idea what I'm doing, but I have a lot of questions. Who are you people? No, really, who are you? That's a great question, Bree. That's like a crazy loaded question. Ooh, that is a great question. It's an interesting question. That's probably a really good question. Ooh, that's an excellent question, Miss Bree. Oh, that's a deep question. It's a good question. <laughs> it's like, what is the meaning of life? Fuck if I know. Any more questions? Oh, yeah, I have a lot of that. I've never been asked that question before. Does anyone really know? Well, I'm here to find out. I'm Bree, and this is the Bree Search Project. In addition to being attractive and talented and Grammy-nominated, my guest today has endless energy, one of the most inspiring work ethics I've ever encountered, and an incredible business acumen on top of his experience as a performer in the music industry, a loving husband, father, and, oh right, the founding member of 98 Degrees. I'm very much looking forward to catching up with the kindest heart of my friend Jeff Timmons. My gosh, that's quite an intro. In fact, that might be the best intro I've ever gotten any time in any interview ever. I really? Totally appreciate- oh my God, amazing. I totally appreciate it. Thank you. Yes. So sweet. I'll get it inscribed on something for you. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I can uh, capture the audio and save that. That's so so nice of you. I, I hope that you think that way. And, you know, look, uh, certainly that's what I aspire to be, a hardworking, loving person and and uh, you know trying to always get better and and never uh, leaving a second to spare so I really appreciate the intro and thanks for having me yeah of course that's a very good way to characterize you I think um, always moving forward yeah I think you have to I mean especially in these times with everything that's going on that's all you have is time on your hands so you have to get creative uh, right before we started uh, recording we were talking about you know, having to explore other things uh, during this time, you, because you have so much so much downtime and there are so many changes and and so much unpredictability out there, you have to come up with unique ways to get yourself out there and be creative. And I have seen the silver lining in this, if there is one, in that, okay, this is a time to get into a tutorial, learn a new program, find a way to get creative. Okay, we can't create sh- shows in the traditional a- atmosphere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, create a way to do it from the home. So, uh, you know, it's definitely kept us on our toes and I think it's helped us grow a little bit. I absolutely agree. And I think we all had kind of a learning curve where the first two weeks, everybody was kind of scrambling and now everybody's setting into whatever they've chosen to follow up with, you know, like I was doing all sorts of projects and and things, but there's like courses and I love the, I love the support of people learning new things, free books and free language learning and, you know, really inspiring people to branch out and and use this time to the best of their abilities. I agree. I mean, there are only two ways to go, right? You can sit on the couch and right. uh, you know keep your eyes plastered to all the negative news that's out there, and they are, they certainly aren't doing a good job of keeping it positive, uh, despite you know what's going on. Uh, you know, you you want to be appreciative of real science and real news, but you also need something that uplifts you. And so you can either sit there and go, "Wow, this is it's the end of the world as we know it." Right. And then, or you can go, hey, all right, well, um, I've always wanted to figure out how to use this program in the studio. And I, yep. you know, that's where I love to be. Well, let's go ahead. We've got all the time in the world. And they go, and you know, you have that conditioning in your mind. Well, oh no, I got to be at this point at this time. And, and I have to be here and I, I have to save my energy for this. Nope. That's all out the window. You got all the time in the world, which really leaves you no excuses. You, you uh, have to find a way to, to get yourself better during such a trying time. 
Exactly. And that's that's exactly, I think, the struggle of so many people. And I've had this conversation with so many of my creative friends. It's like whatever you were doing before that garnered you all of the attention or the busyness, the career, the accolades that you were getting, you have to pivot it to be able to do it in a different way. And and you could either wallow in not being able to do it or you could change your focus and allow yourself to do the things that you have been putting on the back burner. Like th- that's exactly what this project is for me. I have fascinating people in my life. I'm constantly, you know, inspired and interested in in people and things going on around me, not only in the entertainment industry, but in general. I think it's important for people to be learning from the people around them all the time. And I've been talking about this for two years. And I was just like, oh, I've been I'm working too much and I, my career and I don't want to put my energy into it. I don't have what I need and da, da, da. And this was exactly like you said, I have got no more excuses. I don't have to be looking for a job. I don't need to be doing anything else. Like I can dedicate my time to starting something that I've been talking about for so long. And I kicked it off and I've, I'm six episodes in. So, and, and I'm sure you're getting better at it, right? So not oh my only gosh. have you gotten yeah. into it and figured out, all right, what's the platform? What's the best way to get the message out? What technology, what questions to ask? Who should I have on? And now you've put that together. You've kind of sussed through that. You've gone through the technical process. So you've basically, you know, I mean, if you can look at it as a time where we've all been allowed to go to school for whatever we want to do. Right. And uh, it gives you a chance to kind of, you know, take those chances on things that you might not gotten a chance to do or explore that sort of avenue and read about it or learned about it. Oh, well, it's not for me. Or, wow, I've discovered a new passion or, or, or a new strength of mine or, or something exactly. that I could apply back to my normal life when things sort of get back to the, to the old routines that we were used to in the past. Exactly. And it's it's kind of like pioneering your own future, right? The biggest hurdle that people encounter is I don't know how to do this or I don't want to learn it. And so other people are doing it. Other people are better at it than me. And at this particular venture, I was like, I have to learn how to do all this stuff that I don't know how to do. Then it takes me forever. And it's immensely frustrating. But then again, I can turn around now and say, I taught myself how to do all of this from beginning to end. I'm doing it myself. And there's a part of that that's really rewarding when you have something to show for it. Well, right. And sure. And, and, you know, we're getting, we're talking about the positivity of the whole thing and everybody's going, oh, they're woo woo and kumbaya and all that stuff. But no, (laughs) you have to be positive. And even when you're in this mindset, you know, look, we've had so much time. I mean, what are we in day 70 something, 80 something already. And so, you know, you can go out of the gates and be depressed. And then all of a sudden I'm going to pick myself up. I'm going to get myself in the best shape of my life. And you're raring to go with that. And then, okay, you're two weeks later and you're like, okay, I'm still in the house. Uh, I'm I'm going to give up. But yeah, and then you're going to eat some pie popcorn and watch Netflix for three days and right. all that stuff's natural because this hasn't happened before. I mean, the last time it happened, uh, there was no Netflix. It was a hundred years ago or whatever. And now we have, you know, people are like, Oh, I'm, I, I'm so pissed. I'm, I'm out of things to watch on all the streaming services. I mean, it could be <laughs> a lot worse, you know? Yeah, so yeah. there are ebbs and flows in the humanity of it and those emotions and those, those things that everyone's feeling right now. But ultimately you have to just decide this is how I'm going to be. I'm going to be confident that this is going to make, me better. And I think a lot of people are coming around to that. And you're going to lot of see a lot of new things across the board in, in all aspects of everything. I mean, including everything from, you know, look, everybody's been working from their home. So what's the need for all these corporate offices now? You right, know, they, right, I, right. We can get things done with technology. So medical changes, school, schooling changes, everything, health changes. I think people, a lot of people are going, all right, well, you know, there could be a vaccine and there could be therapeutics for this COVID-19. But in the meantime, I should probably just get myself healthier 
find right, a better right. way to eat and all that stuff. So not to be corny and so upbeat and uplifting or or anything, but I've seen it as a time to take advantage rather than to be upset. I agree. And I think I think everybody kind of needed this pause to kind of figure out who they were without all of the stuff. Yeah. Which, you know, without all of the accoutrement that come along with how busy your life is. Exactly. And, and that's a pretty scary thing to face if you think about it. Oh, when you totally. Have ex- the excuse of routine and you mm-hmm. can get into the comfort of that, whether it's a grind or whether it's convenient or inconvenient, you just become used to it, right? right. Uh, and this has caused everybody to really take a long look in the mirror and go, all right, this is going to give me a chance to decide what kind of person I'm going to be. And if I am a one type of person and I don't like it, I'm either going to change it or am I going to stay with it or uh, or the opposite. If, if you were this upbeat person and this is taking you out of your mix and it's mm-hmm. taking you into a different dimension, are you going to let that sink you or are you going to make help it fortify you and make you stronger? So I, it's, it's quite an interesting time. I certainly wish it didn't happen. But at the same time, I've taken a lot from it uh, as a person and certainly learned a lot outside of uh, all of the other things I knew professionally uh, to help me grow in other areas as well. I agree. And I, I, I don't buy into the whole trope of like, if you're not doing 15 things, then you're wasting your quarantine time. Like everybody's dealing with it, how they have to deal with it. There's place for everybody to kind of have their own space. But I do think it's a really good reset for people to kind of reintroduce themselves to themselves. And if they don't like the person that they have to spend this much time alone with, maybe doing some steps to alter that. Right. It'll, it'll let you know if you don't like yourself, guess what? Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. guess what? You know, that you're, all those people that are saying they really like you and we all really have it. Those are few and far between for all of us, no matter what. Right. Uh, those close people to us, those that are really thinking about themselves all the time and thinking about us. Uh, but, you know, look, especially now, if you're going, wow, I can't stand myself the way I think, the way I'm acting, the way I behave, you know. Right. Or if you get all your value from exterior sources, if it's all about what other people are doing or saying or showing, you know, then you're not drawing that from yourself. Yeah. Well, that's why I find it really interesting. You know, I have a lot of uh, friends in the industry and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I find this really interesting. It's really affected. And I have friends across the board. I come from a blue collar town in Ohio. So it has affected everybody, obviously in different ways. It's been devastating to everybody in different mm-hmm. ways, but it's really, you know, the, the egocentric celebrities have really, yes. you know, this has taken them completely out of their routine and out of their bubble. And you just see some of these people just shriveling, not all, of course, not all of no. them, but there are a couple of people you're just like, why wow, you really can't take that. This is reality. Exactly. Um, It is a soul searching, soul searching time for everybody. So it's been very interesting. Maybe it's the, uh, the universe's way of telling us to press pause and regroup and go out there uh, in a different way with a different tact. Totally. Absolutely agree. And I hope it works. I hope everybody's kind of going to come out on a different page when we come out of this. I know I don't I don't want it to go back to the way it was. I, for one, I'm like, I needed this kind of reset. I needed this time to nest and refocus. And I don't think anybody's completely ever satisfied with anything. I mean, unless you have the perfect life, the perfect finances, the perfect Zen mentality, which, you know, all of those really conflict, you know, um, when you think about it. But I think it is a, is a time for everybody to sort of really kind of regroup. And, and look, I don't think anybody wants anything to go back to the way it was. I know yeah. a lot of people said, oh, I just want it to be back the way it was. Really? I mean, was everything perfect in your life? Was everything the way you wanted it to be? Or mm-hmm. was this a time to really kind of take things in a different direction for everybody? Yeah, I agree. Um, what are we drinking? 
Uh, you know what I'm doing? You know, look, I'm a big beer drinker. I love beer. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I've been in the studio quite a bit, so I, I can't drink beer. I would have gained a ton of weight during this. And I have to, <laughs> <laughs> I have to watch my girlish figure. So uh-huh. lately I've been onto the Corona hard seltzers or the oh, true. Are they good? They're well, they're good enough that, yeah, well, they're, yeah, they're good. They're, they taste good. They're, they're, you know, they're not like beer. Right. But you know, you get you get the, what you need out of get a little buzz and you get the little kick of the alcohol and they're tasty. But yeah, no carbs. You know, I'm always on these diets and yes, all this crazy stuff that stays skinny. But yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. So that's what I'm drinking tonight. What are you drinking? So I have got a single shot of tequila because I don't remember what we used to shoot together, and that probably means that's what it was. Well, it, it was everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when we were stuck in Montana, it was everything. I mean, Joey Fatone had a distillery. There was a distillery in the town, and they, it migrated into his hotel. Uh, yes. So the flask that Joey gave us for like our wrap gift still had whiskey in it tonight when oh I just opened god. it and I was like oh my god that's gotta be like yeah well, so when he gave it to, that was gone when we as soon as he gave it to us it was it gone was over when we, yeah. when he gave it to us yeah but but you know he had everything in there they had gin oh, yeah. uh, whiskey vodka in there but yeah we were shooting tequila I think is what we were doing yeah that's probably why I don't remember what it was <laughs> so I'm gonna have a shot of tequila for Jeff tonight because uh I'll bring back old times I love it go for it yeah um so my first question what I start out with everyone across the board is who are you who am I? Wow, that's a really uh, well. Uh, on the surface, I'm a guy that was in a group called 98 Degrees. I'm a family man, I'm a father of five kids, uh, two step kids, three biological kids. I have a beautiful wife who's totally amazing, changed my life around. And really, I'm just a guy that wants to have success. Uh, and, and, and that's not just in a financial way, that's across the board. Daily try to get better, be a better person, certainly become a, more of a financial success, create new businesses, and be a successful creative uh, that, that inspires people. So that's pretty much in a nutshell who I am. I like it. Um, so you grew up in a small town in Ohio, like you were saying, playing sports. What struggles and challenges have you encountered when you shift your focus to music and performance? I have a feeling this is going to resonate with me and with a lot of people. I grew up in Alabama and I kind of had to go through the same transition. So I'm wondering how that affected you. Well, you know what it's like. So, so in the Midwest or in the South, um, it's, it's a little bit different than the Northeast or the West coast Mm -hmm. in, in that, you know, we're from blue collar areas. So you figure, uh, you know, when you work hard at something, the amount of effort that you put in automatically results in, you know, this sort of accolade achievement, financial success. With the entertainment business, it's a little bit different. You go in with a certain amount of effort and then you encounter, and it goes with other careers as well, where you have politics. But in the entertainment business, there are many more peaks and valleys, high highs and low lows, I think, than traditional jobs. And I had some of those traditional jobs before I got into entertainment. I've been around people that have had those traditional jobs and not that they don't have their peaks and valleys as well. But in the entertainment business, there is a lot more competition. It's more of a fickle business. It's more, it's less of a a business where people take chances on things that they feel is good. and, And then they look at it 
analytics and they go with those types of things rather than creative things that should obviously be great, uh, but they don't go through those things. And then once in a while, you have somebody that's a visionary. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have plenty of those in the tech business. You have plenty of those in other businesses. But in the entertainment business, you don't have very many visionary people. It's quite the opposite than what people would think. They're like, oh, man, these are filled with just these brilliant creatives. No, it's not really that way. What happens is uh, eventually you'll have a brilliant creative come out with something and then someone on the executive side, which traditionally those guys aren't brilliantly creative, they're businessmen. Mm -hmm. One of those guys will spot something great They'll tackle, tackle, tackle it, put it out there, promote it, market it. It'll have tremendous success as it should, like people ex- would expect. And then everybody copies that. Mm-hmm. And then you have a whole, you know, whatever cycle, year, two years of that type of thing until people get burned out and they'll be afraid. The executives will be afraid to touch other creative stuff that might be great because they're just too afraid to lose their jobs. It's a really, really tough business. The struggles in this business for me you know, they, for a while there and no longer is so strange when I was in my, you know, mid to late twenties, I was too old at that time oh, yeah. uh, to continue to be doing pop music. Right. You know, now the technology's out there, you can grow your own fan base. You don't have to be out in that mainstream media as, as much, and you can utilize your social media networks and your reach and your great fan base. Now you're not too old. It doesn't matter how old you are, as long as you put out great stuff and you have a, a rabid, excitable fan base that's fervent out there and supports you. Uh, it's so much different. So, you know, just the, just the learning curve with this is always changing uh, as with anything in life. But I feel like the entertainment business is a bit more challenging. People expect more from you. You can't uh, you can't be a human being that makes mistakes or says the wrong thing or makes the wrong turn. I mean, look, especially during this pandemic at Twitter every day, it's cancel this guy or cancel that guy. And half the time yeah, it's cancel culture. Yeah, It's not even something that the, the celebrity has done. It's something that a fan has taken out of context and right. it just trends because people were bored. And, you know, look, at the same time, the eyes are all, all on you. You have to look good. You have to say the right things all the right time. And even when you're trying to do it, you can stumble and make a mistake because, you know, by the way, you are a human being. So it's a complicated business. It's one that I feel is probably the most challenging in my life for me that I could be in. But I accept the challenge of trying to do what I like to do in the business because I have such a passion for it. Right. That's a great point. And the point you made about creative versus corporate and everybody assuming that somebody is these brilliant creative minds. And that's what kids coming up that's what we aspire to be, right? We aspire to use our creativity. We aspire to be these artists. And I think what you just said about that's not how stuff gets made. That's not how things become successful. I think that's not talked about enough in the entertainment industry. I feel like that's a big side of it that's ignored is the business and the corporate and the marketing. That's where the progress in creative happens. Just because you're a brilliant artist or you're talented or you're, you, you do lots of things very rarely means you're successful. Yeah, it very rarely does. And again, unless you find that one person that sees the diamond in the rough, that right. that's, that that's gets it right away and goes and, and plucks you out of obscurity, obscurity and right. puts you right into the forefront. You don't. We go. Oh my gosh, who's the who's the best at uh, at the movies? I mean, Steven Spielberg, right? If I can get in front of Steven Spielberg, my life is going to be made. Okay, great. Steven Spielberg, while is a legend of uh, the best of all time directors and all that, you know, he can say something to you. 
But, you know, Steven Spielberg has to go out and get financing for his movies still. Mm -hmm. You know, he still has to, he has to report to basically a banker or someone that controls checks that make his projects. You know, not everything that he says immediately at the snap of a finger gets greenlit and people just don't understand that. They're like, no way. This guy's, nope. He has to go do rounds of funding. You know, in one of his movies, most recent movies, I think it was, might've been 1917. I might be wrong. But I was approached to go try to find the last round of financing through people that I knew in Dubai for his movie. Right, right. I was like, no way. But then I thought about, I'm like, of course, of course, because, you know, at some point it's become more corporate. It's become more about the numbers and less about the creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these guys have to report to big, huge corporations that have to look at the bottom line and say, all right, it's going to cost $300 million to get this made and it's going to maybe make you know, 117 million because it's a niche kind of right. What's my investment film. worth? Right. What's the investment? And, and so the, and, and, I, and I certainly wouldn't want anybody that is listening to this to be discouraged because I'm all about following your dreams, but just learn the, you have to learn that there's a business side to it. And, you know, look, use that other side of your brain, the side that, you know, you have that side that's creating this great music or making that great painting or writing the great script or looking great and putting on this great scene. As much time as you spend on that, well, Go learn the other side because then you're going to know what they're expecting, who's going, who you're going to have to be answering to, and how to attack it from a business standpoint. Absolutely. I think there's some kind of perception that it becomes easier when you get to some level, right? Like, well, if I were there, it would be so much easier. I could just do whatever I wanted. And what people don't understand is it's, it's all the same just on the next level, it's bigger levels. It's bigger checks. It's bigger money. It's it's the same process. And and don't forget about the pressure. It's even more pressure. Right. Then once you make it, when you're not making it, it's the pressure of, oh man, I'm not going to make it and I'm going to have to go back to Ohio. Mm-hmm. And all my friends and all their parents that said I was going to be back in three months, they're going to laugh at me and then I'm going to have to get a regular job. That's one type of pressure. Okay. Well, let's say you go out and you make it and you have five top 10 singles and then you start selling out, you know, stadiums and arenas and travel in the world. And then music starts to change. Well, all of a sudden there's another type of pressure. Right, right. There's that pressure to, that you're now a has been yeah. and you don't have it anymore. And your, your time is now passed. And that's an, and then you start to look at yourself and go, well, I was good enough to do it and make it this far. What happened to me? How did I fail? How did I make a mistake? And then you start to pick your all those type A type of things, that OCD type of stuff mm-hmm. that you have about yourself in the beginning is now intensified because you've had that taste of success mm-hmm. and you've had those people that are, have written you the checks and you've traveled the world. So there's that other intensity. It's like you said, it's just on another level. The intensity, uh, it's, it's sort of equaled out. The more success you have, the more you want and the more pressure and the more people expect and the intensity increases. Again, I wouldn't trade the experiences that I've had uh, for anything, I, they've been amazing, but it has been intense pressure throughout. I mean, certainly, you know, you got to ratchet it up. All right, man, mm-hmm. I made it, made it. We had a bunch of songs. We're still touring. What's next? What are we going? We going to come out with new music? Well, people think we're too old. We, you know, those types of things cross your mind twenty four hours a day when you're in a business like this. Speaking of pressure, you've seen a lot over the course of your entertainment career, and your fans have changed and developed with you. You were talking about having a loyal fan base. Do you feel responsibility to live up to a generation of people's expectations or notions or perceptions of you? And how do you manage that? 
I think at first, I think at first when we first had success, we felt like, wow, people are expecting X, Y, and Z from us now. But I think as we've grown throughout the years, our fans have grown up with us. Mm-hmm. So they've seen the peaks and valleys of each of our careers. And they, listen, they're not dummies, okay? While they have, you know, have this perception and idea about us as artists and individuals, and they sort of have this fandom about us, they've, they've seen us through, you know, two and a half decades now to where they know we're real people. And some of us have gotten divorced and some of us have put out records that haven't been great. Mm-hmm. And some of us have gone gotten in trouble and we've come back and we've, you know, I think that our, I wouldn't underestimate our fans and in th- into thinking that we need to have this sort of, sort of persona that is squeaky clean and perfect and, you know, dreamy to them right. because I think they're, they're too sophisticated and smart to that. On the flip side of that, the product and the entertainment and the performances that we put out, I think always have to get better. Because we owe it to them as they've supported us and patronized us and allowed us to have, for our families to have lives that are amazing as a result of our dreams and our music and our creations. I think we owe the best versions of our creative selves to them. That's awesome. Now I see how majoring in psychology uh, affected your business acumen. (laughs) Well, I don't know. This makes a lot of sense. Listen, when I was majoring in psychology, like I was also majoring in partying. So (laughs) listen, I don't remember too much, too many of those classes or those lessons. (laughs) I think that honestly, you know, that corny quote, university of life. I mean, just the the experience alone, you don't have to be a brilliant person, but, but when, if you go through all the, the spectrum of experiences that I've been fortunate enough and at, at points going, I'm feeling unfortunate to go through this experience, but you know, you look back. And the older you get, you sort of take on the good and the bad in a different way. And you go, okay, it's a lesson. I'm going to power through it. It's going to make me better. I was talking about this with my wife last night because personally, when you're in this business, things become tough right. uh, as well. And that's on the family front and friends front and all that stuff. So totally. you go, look, I, you know, I'm, I'm reading a bunch of great books that talk about, you know, embracing the challenge and, you know, and, and you forget some of these common sense things that these great authors put into there so eloquently that you power through it and you get better and you become stronger. And, you know, I think that those lessons have made me become a little more, at least in tune with what's going on. I wouldn't say wise, or I wouldn't say super smart or how to, how to tackle it mentally because I'm all over the place up and down and emotionally. But I think you know how to handle them a little bit better. Right. Yeah, that's true. Tell me about when you started performing and the moment that you knew that your presence as a performer was valuable and describe how that felt. It's an interesting question. Uh, well, look, I start, my parents put me into like school plays and, and things like that in, at a really young age. But where I'm from is very football centric. So while they supported the arts, if you're not a football player, you know, it, it goes from your uh, first class to like 18th class. It's oh, yeah, all about same. football. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're Alabama, right? Uh-huh, so, you know, yeah. uh, so it's, it's all or nothing with regards to football. And then, oh, it's cute. He's a, a good performer, but I was in fifth grade and I tried out for this play and got it. And, you know, it came so easy to me and I just, 
you know, learned all the lines and got the part easily. And then every time I would do community theater or something like that, I would secretly, you know, go away after football season and do community theater or be in plays or be in musicals or do speech. All that stuff was always too easy. It was too easy. I was like, man, this is too easy. It sounds cocky, but I was like, it's too easy. It's coming too easy. Uh, it, this must not be worth anything. So uh, wow, I didn't interesting. really... I didn't value it at all. Like I thought it was a joke. Other people would be working at it and trying really hard and they would get pissed at me because I'd go screw off and do other things and play other sports and then, you know, walk in and, and be lucky enough to get parts and, you know, and, and really excel there. So I knew I had the knack to perform very early on. I embraced it 0%. Wow. Interesting. It was weird because it, it was it was weird for me because I was like, man, it, it feels so good to get up there and perform and get the applause and really just kind of get crafty with, you know, performing and, and testing myself. There must be something wrong with it. I thought it was too easy. I thought it was, you know, it had nothing. There was, it was, it must not be of importance because the high school football player, uh, you know, that just right, right, right. actually passed a class, they threw a ticker tape parade for him. So, you know, I was like, man, I, this must not be, this not, must not mean anything. But really, I, I just, I, I, I like totally pushed it out of my life and really focused on football. And then it just kept coming back around. And when I was in college, it just, uh, we started singing for some girls at a party and everything sounded great. Everybody knows that story, but I, I just was like, I can't push this away anymore. Like it, it's, it, I, I should probably look into this and try to do it. And still, you know, I still have this sort of subconscious thing that it's not really, really that great to be doing it. So I think what that does is it makes me take, uh, it makes me a little more, ha have more freedom with it. I'm a little less rigid with it because I always have this thing in the back of my mind that there's always, you know, this is not a real job. Other people, you know, so it's a weird sort of psychology behind it. Now I have to make sure it's great because it's what I do for a living, you know, and I want to get better at it. But I, I really never took it that seriously until it was my career. That's so interesting. So last week I had a friend of mine who is the lead guitarist for the Zombies, the band. Yeah. And uh, whenever this comes out, if you listen to last last week's episode, he tells a story about how he thinks that every musician, every artist, every creative has this thing in the back of their mind that they're just like, I feel like I'm just I'm just waiting for somebody to uncover that I'm crap at everything I do. Um, and he was like, I feel like everybody struggles with some level of imposter syndrome in this business. Well, I mean, look at the look at the history of art, right? The history of art is the greatest artists, right, from Amadeus on. The, you know, they're supposed to get robbed. It's not a real job, right? right they right. have they have people lurking in the shadows to take their money, right? Tell them they're not that great, but shove them out on stage to collect the checks for everyone else. Right, I mean, right. So the psychology has been sort of the blueprint's been put out there long before either of us. And what that what that does, whether you're conscious of it or not, you know, our parents come on. How many times would oh, I'm sure his parents went in there a million times? Like, when are you going to get off the guitar and go do your homework? Right, because, right, right. Get know, a real job. Right. You're conditioned to think that it's not a real job, that it's it's not viable. It doesn't have any meaning. But see, look, you know, what's been interesting about everything and, and look, not to compare musicians to essential front work line workers or hospital workers or people mm -hmm. that are working in delivery services or grocery stores. Those are heroes. But I think entertainment has been essential uh, during Absolutely. this time. So it is an essential element to the human condition, the entertainment value to keep people intrigued, to keep their brains excited. Um, 
again, not comparing it to those people out there that are doing, you know, their jobs, but, you know, you're taught that this is not, you know, a real service to people, but nonetheless, people are coming out and buying tickets to see you do something that makes them feel good. And not only that, puts them in a peer group of other people. That's right. what I, I, I find often that people forget. They're like, wow, you know, we're going to utilize your, you know, you, here's what we're going to do. You're going to get to your fan base and here's how we're going to attack your fan base. And here's the marketing idea. And it's about you and you, you, I'm like, but part of it is the camaraderie that our fan base has with each other. Yes. And that's, that's like so almost, true. It's almost a bigger component than when we're up there on stage. Sometimes we're up on stage and we see the fans like having more fun with each other than in, enjoying uh, our our show. But really, what it, that's what the job and service that what we were supposed to do for those fans. And it's a lot of executives don't understand that that you know you create these peer groups that are solidified for a lifetime because they've experienced something that they enjoy together. So true, so true, and especially in that era, because still to this day, I mean, first of all, I was that era. Second of all, getting to know and to work with all of you guys, witnessing the fan base that has grown over the years of your career that is still so strong that they they know each other. They still interact with each other. They meet up. They like it's affected their whole they're in each other's weddings, you know, like it's a bigger thing than being a fan of something singularly by yourself. It creates an entire community around a common interest. Right. And, and you know, look, I, I sit there and troll Facebook and so I know everybody go, Oh, I don't I don't look at my social media, man. I <laughs> I'm too cool. I don't it, it's you know, you've got to take the good with the bad. No, no look, I, I don't care what anybody says, they'll at least glance at comments that people say about their pictures, a new song, right, right, what right. they're expecting. You know, you get you you'd be a machine if you didn't do it. But you know, I'll sit there and look, you know, late at night when I don't sleep and I'm never fortunately I don't get too much sleep. So I'm, you know, scrolling through something or watching something or learning something. But I'll sit there and see what the fans are saying. And a lot of times the fans are going, oh, I can't wait till concerts are coming back so I can get with my girls. I can't wait to get with the 98 degrees message board girls, right. you know, this clique of, you know, a hundred girls that have bonded for life that go on family vacations together. And like you said, are in each other's weddings and, yeah. you know, sadly some funerals, uh, you know, it's like, that's a phenomenon that, you know, we didn't, you know, as young guys, we never knew that that would be a repercussion of us getting up on stage. We were all always thinking it's about us it's our music and, right right you know, but we, we didn't think of the deeper uh you know uh more sentimental aspects of what we were doing we're going to get out there that's very true so let's talk about 98 i want to know why 98 degrees is not a boy band well look i mean it depends on how you want to approach it we now don't get we don't mind being called a boy band right, because right, boy right. band means backstreet boys in sync you know everybody uh, yeah yeah, all, all One Direction, you know, all these huge worldwide uh, phenomenons. Uh, when we started, though, we were just a vocal group. So we were inspired by vocal groups. So Boys to Men, which is also at times considered yeah, that's a true. boy, band, a boy now. band now. Yeah. When they were out, uh, they were a vocal group. You know, they were a four-part vocal chamber. They were all singers. Right. Uh, you know, so we uh, we modeled ourselves after Boys to Men, as well as old school groups like the Four Tops and Temptations and, yep. you know, and then some rock Harmony-based rock groups as well had influences on us, like Boston and Journey, the Eagles. Mm -hmm. So we we were vocals, 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 and we came out and we were on Motown, and it was an urban label, and they tried to make us really urban at first, yep, and then yep, yep. we we went. Uh, there was no term boy band out. There was no nothing 
out like that. I mean, Backstreet Boys started emerging at the same time we did. Nobody was calling them a boy band. And then we went to Europe and then here you go. Here's some boy bands. It's right. four or five guys. Everybody's got a different look. They all dance. Half of them lip sync. There's right. one lead singer. Uh, you know, they all have the same canned answers. They all have nicknames. Right. Uh, and so, and they were calling us the new boy band and we were like, hell no, 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 no. We're, you know, we're not like these guys. Uh, and we did not embrace it. We didn't like it. Uh, and then, you know, look, when they lumped us in with groups that sold hundreds of millions of records and it means we travel the world and, uh, you know, we have this huge, <laughs> well, you know what, I guess what, we're a boy band. Okay. Yeah, look, you know, we fit. We're, we're, and here we are, like, talking to all the pop magazines, trying to conjure up nicknames for each other. I mean, here we are, we're like, uh, what, what are our nicknames? We need to come up with some nicknames. Yeah, like so, the cute one, the sassy yeah. one, well, the dancer well, one. My wife was, you know, we're redecorating the house and she's, she's digging out these old magazines that we're in and she's <laughs> leaping through them. And she's like, sugar, your name's sugar. I'm like, stop. They, they told us that. I mean, they told us to come up with nicknames. And she's like, why sugar? Well, you know, I cut out sugar at the time. So they were calling me sugar. I mean, yeah. we had, we had a bunch of nicknames, but never did we call the four of us call each other any of those at any time. I mean, we could, we had some pretty colorful nicknames, but we couldn't yeah. put them in the pop magazines. Not those. No. <laughs> so that that was without a doubt like the heyday of MTV and like aughts boy band fashion. What do you look back on like those pop magazines and what makes you cringe and what would you like still rock now? Well, I mean, look, some of it's coming back. I, I mean, know. Some of it's coming back. <laughs> some of the pla big plaid shirts and, yep. and all that stuff are, are coming back. But, you know, look, cringeworthy. We had so many cringy <laughs> Outfits. I mean, we had silver, like polyester silver suits. I mean, oh. uh, the stuff that was really bad, it was like overly, it, it was really, hip hop at the time was like super baggy. Mm -hmm. So we had like these really baggy clothes, Maurice Malone, Fat Farm. They were, yep. there, had a shopping at all these clothes. And I mean, literally looked like we're drowning in these clothes. <laughs> so <laughs> they were oversized for one, but there are a million looks. We had these you know, red jumpsuits that look like we just got done fixing a car, the four of us. And <laughs> oh, funny enough, that. funny enough, like uh, my wife, Amanda is like, you know, those red jumpsuits we were making fun of girls are starting to wear those now. She goes, they're, <laughs> they're tighter, back. they're yeah. tighter and they look cool, but they, you know, they're wearing them. So, you know, that stuff get all that fashion gets recycled. Cause there's only so much stuff you can do with clothing, but yeah, I mean, all, I look at all of it. I'm like, wow, it's so cringeworthy, but I'd say the oversized bagginess looks like giant trash bags we're wearing at yeah. times. It's crazy. Yeah. So to that point, if people were trying to start a boy band now, what advice would you give them and how would it differ from your experience? Like, what do you wish somebody had told you coming up if you were doing it now? Uh, well, look, we didn't have too many mentors, unfortunately. We, we got to perform and be around. You, you guys put yourself together, right? So that was one of the things you weren't, you weren't being controlled by a different entity. We, we did, and we didn't have sort of, although Motown was amazing in signing us, and Andre Harrell, who just passed, uh, rest his soul, he gave us our first shot. We owe a lot to Andre. He was a visionary. You know, he signed us to Motown, uh, which a lot of people don't know. Uh, he, he gave us our shot when nobody else really wanted to. So we owe a lot to him, but you know, again, he didn't know, really know what to do with us. He tried a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we had to kind of figure out 
the whole series of how to do things, how to how to perform, how to how to act in interviews, and then you know how to work on our own. But really, you know, looking back now, I think the elements now and then are the same. I think it's th- it's three things. You have to have self belief. That occurs in any generation. You ha- you cannot let people make you waver, uh, no matter what. Here today or then, uh, you have to have faith. You have to have self-belief. You have to have the hardest work ethic you possibly can have. And even when you feel like you can't do anymore, you've got to work harder. And that I think that's a little bit different than what you were saying. I don't, you know, I'm not a person that feels like you just need to populate yourself with busy work. Right. But if you have a focus, you need to focus 100% on that. If you're a young person that doesn't have too many responsibilities outside of yourself, focus 100% on your craft. And you know, now talking about today and yesteryear, um, I think that today is a crowded space social media wise. It's really hard to get attention that way. You have to get very lucky or have a ton of finances that can sort of help you with those listens and spins and views and likes, because it's really hard to cut through that. I think that, you know, I, I'm, I created a pop boy band now that was intended to be a, a uh, tribute group uh, that was having a a little, a a little bit of success before the lockdown. And we were going to transition them into a real group and I was going to put them on a grassroots tour and get them out there uh, and and do a mall tour with those guys. Some of the things I knew that helped us to be successful would cut through uh, some of the things that other people are doing a 12, 15 city mall tour, theater Mm -hmm. tour, Mm -hmm. uh, getting them opening up for people in in fairs and festivals. But I'd say, you know, do your best creatively, stay true to yourself, have that work ethic, have that self-belief, don't let anybody tell you you can't do it and uh, and work harder than anybody else. I mean, uh, it, it seems like simple things, but, you know, those things are hard to put together. You'll have people tearing you apart. You'll have, uh, you know, inter intertension with the band. Uh, you'll get tired and not want to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you won't you, you'll sort of lose that self-belief. So if you keep those things together, you're bound for success. Well, you do all of those things so well. Um, and you've got your hands in so many projects. How do you pivot your creative fulfillment that you got from performance and, and you know, the band into different projects? For me, it's easy because, well, one, uh, if you're talking about music, uh, I like to write for other people or just like to see other people become successful. So those those really high highs that I had in the group um, and still have, I mean, we're still having a great time, uh, the best time ever, actually, that we've ever had, which yeah. is odd, uh, so many years later. But I, I thrive on watching people enjoy those moments if I, if, when I can help them do it. You know, if I can help them enjoy those moments and have them realize those dreams and those efforts that they're putting forward and, and, and seeing them, you know, realize something and I'm a part of that, that gives me an extraordinary high. I love it. Um, so seeing other people succeed, be successful is one thing for me. And then just trying new things and learning all the time, learning new things and then applying them and then watch the result uh, become successful. Uh, I love that. And so for me, uh, whether it's, you know, now creating a, you know, a workout show out of their home with celebrities that were, you know, pitching to an online service that's really interested in doing, you know, that's one thing. Uh, and trying to put that together and seeing people's enthusiasm and integrate that with brands uh, to sitting in the studio, learning a new program. I mean, 
all of that stuff to reading something new, uh, to, to learning something new, to discovering something new that helps me discover something about myself uh, and just get better and enjoy the process, you know, take in life and enjoy the process. So those things are, it, it, it's not easy. It's not hard for me to be creatively fulfilled with stuff. Yeah, you, you're amazing. You're constantly moving. You're constantly absorbing. You've constantly got like 12 irons in the fire and you are always invested and excited and empowering every project. It's not like, oh, well, we'll see what happens. I don't really know. Like, whatever. You are fully dedicated to all of these things that you genuinely find so interesting and fascinating and want to help and learn and, and do across the board, just like a million projects. Well, I appreciate all of the kind words and nice things <laughs> you're saying about me, Bree, but I don't find, I, I don't feel like there's another, I can't, there's not another gear to be honest with you. So it's not like uh, I'll just, you know, find, I just need to like get this energy out there. So I'm just going to pluck somebody up and be a part of their stuff. I, it's if I find something that impassions me, then I go 100% in and I don't, I don't think there's another way to be. All right. Well, and then you see, yeah, yeah, I'm a part of this new, you you know, multi-level workout program and I'm right. just going to put my name on it and, you know, collect a small check and, and then it fizzles out and then you put your name and reputation on something that didn't do well. Um, I, I just think you find things that really give you that, you know what that is, that it's that spark, it's that excitement that comes within and from, from without. And it just, it, it fills your body with excitement and you feel like you have to go out there and compelled to do your best at it. And for me, fortunately, I have a, a lot of creative people around me that give me these sparks and these ideas and we bounce them off. It's sort of called one of those, those old school, you know, new wave self-help success, uh, you know, success books. Yeah. They talk about these brain trusts when you can find two or three people that you can bounce ideas off of and you guys get in a room uh, and you come up with these ideas and you, you know you thrive off each other because you can lean into each other and not and not be afraid of throwing ideas around and being wrong i mean that's another part of it you can't be afraid to fail you can't be afraid to be wrong it's about what you do after you take in those lessons and apply it to the next project and what you learn. And so I'm always trying to, you know, keep out there, do new stuff, make it cool. And, um, you know, a lot of them fail once in a while, some of them explode. So, you know, and those are well worth, you know, the 150 failures, the one or two that come out and are all over the place everywhere and selling tickets or making people happy uh, and making the artists happy or the participants happy or the creators happy. Uh, or, or, or the people that are on the executive side happy, um, you know, those are the, those are very fulfilling. What failure do you most value? Oh, I mean, there, I've had so many of them, you know, I've, I've, I've failed when I put my first solo record out. Um, you know, look, music had changed. Uh, not a label would sign me. They wouldn't even listen to my music, let alone sign me. I mean, I couldn't get an executive to answer my phone calls or, you know, at that time it was like, put it, send a CD and I'd call the, all the executives and all, from all the labels and they'd always take my calls. Nah, Jeff, we're just, you know, music's different. We're not even going to give it a, a, a shot. Right. Uh, you know, all that was very discouraging after being in a group that sold, you know, 10 million plus records and to toured the world and sold out arenas. So now all of a sudden I can't even get someone to take a listen. 
mm-hmm. to the music. It felt futile. It felt literally like I was banging my head against the wall, but I was like, look, screw it. I'm going to go into my studio anyway and get better at just producing music, learning how to do music. I don't care if anybody, nobody listens to it. I'm going to listen to it. So, you know, it's, uh, it was tough. It was a tough stretch and it was a long stretch. You know, that stretch lasted a number of years, uh, before anybody would give me an opportunity to pitch anything. So it was frustrating. And I thought that, uh, a couple of times I actually was going to quit, but I would let, I wouldn't let myself do it. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I started, I got somebody to listen to music, started producing music, putting music placements in TV and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was giving me confidence. Okay. All right. Well, look, you know, we're, we're at least getting in the door there, started doing some stuff for artists, ghostwriting on some stuff and just getting back to, to the mix. And, and now, you know, look, the groups come back around and developing artists and have had some success with some other projects. So, you know, look, it, it was a tough little stretch there in the early to mid 2000s for mm-hmm. me, uh, probably a really soul searching time, but I didn't quit. So that was a long failure, but <laughs> that just inspires me to go, look, your failure, what you feel like a failure could be 10 years or 20. You know, some right. of these screenwriters pitch around a, a, a TV show for 10, 15 years. And all of a sudden it's the biggest show on television, you know, like, yeah. and, and you're like, how did they miss that for so long? Well, right. they missed it. A, a bunch of people got it wrong. And then one person ended up getting it right. So it inspires you to go, look, you're not crazy. Uh, stick with it. Or maybe you are stick with it. And then, you know, uh, eventually, you know, you're going to see your do. Let's pivot a little bit. Um, you've mentioned Amanda a couple times and I think, you are a shining example of behind every strong man is a stronger woman. And you're so open about how supportive you both are of each other and how she kind of masterminds so much of your lives. Tell me about meeting Amanda and how you knew that was it. Well, I didn't know it was it. I, I And listen, I've been on the other side where I had uh, the opposite, no support. Really? And I know what that, that felt like. So I had a good, I had a good gauge to measure. You had a again, barometer measure her. to yeah, change. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I had a, I had a nice, uh, a nice, uh, you know, case study before her, but, right. um, you know, look, I, I was not, I went through a brutal divorce and was not intending it by any stretch to ever, uh, not only get married again, but not even going, I was not interested in having a girlfriend, not interested. I was, mm-hmm. of course, love women and was seeing them and, but had zero intention of any type of serious settle down. It was not in my, I was like, it's, that's not happening. Right. And I didn't, I didn't sit at home and go, Oh, I can't wait till. No, been there, done that. Got the divorce papers. <laughs> I was like, Nope, I'm not doing it. I'm not, I'm not doing it. I I'm perfectly good, good with just being a dad and, and going back to my career. Uh, but I met her and I, I can't really explain uh, what it was about her that I liked, but I could tell she was different. Mm-hmm. And and when you get into a position of being a person of any type of no, notoriety, whether it's a, the a CEO of a company or a star basketball player, let, let alone like a pop boy band guy, you get you meet you come across so many different people that you start to become disenfranchised with how people, how genuine people are. Yeah, that's and true. So, and so, and, and what it does is make you very in tune uh, w- with people's cues and, and what they say and how they behave. And you start to become very aware 
of what people's intentions are, even if they're not aware of it themselves. So, uh, you know, that's a very good point. And I want to know more about that, because I feel like that's something that you have a very singular experience in that you had all these experiences throughout your career that honed that ability, like that very specific ability to know what people want, how they want it how genuine people are, like you have a radar now. It's like a radar, right? And it's just, you become a little more, your intuition gets much better. Your awareness gets much better. And it's based upon routine and experience. So when you go to, you know, 60 cities in a row for five years in a row, and and you're in the same type of atmosphere over and over again, you've got, okay, here comes the radio guy. And here comes the girl that's going to tag along with, (laughs) and here comes the supermodel. And then here comes the girl that's the quiet one. And here's the bartender's girlfriend who's going to, you know, then you I mean, it's it's almost like a script that keeps repeating Same itself over and over, yeah, over and over again while their <laughs> experience is new every day, right? So wow. they're thinking it's the first time that you've seen this. And you're like, this is the 300th time in the last five years that I've seen this. So, you know, you start to become a little bit numb. So when somebody like Amanda comes along, she came along and she was just acting different. Everything about her was different. Her demeanor was different. She was not interested in talking to me. And then, of course, you have the, the, all those uh, experiences where you have the fake person that fakes like they don't want to talk to you and then, you know, right, ask you right. for the picture or the autograph or to leave right. with you later. She wasn't like that at all. And I really liked that about her. And it caught me way off guard. So I was like, wow, this is kind of different. Um, and so, you know, I, I, got her information or we, we exchanged information. Uh, and then I was just, I didn't exchange my phone number or anything. I just started talking to her on Twitter a little bit. That was a safe way to, you know, to kind of, I was like, all right, this is how no phone numbers, no emails, Twitter. So I'm not giving you my address, but I'll talk to you on Twitter. (laughs) But but she really, really caught me off guard. And so, and then we just started talking and then, you know, I'd seen her a couple of times. She had come to see me, but I was like, I'm not really taking it too seriously. And she wasn't either. And then it just dawned on me. I was like, what is it about me that I'm too good to settle down again? I looked at it a different way that not to be protective, like, you know, what am I so cool that I don't need to give somebody a piece of me and be so guarded? And why should I let my previous experience put this armor around me that I can't share with somebody else? It's going to actually, you know, rob somebody else of having, you know, interesting life or someone else that cares about them. So it, it, it really just dawned on me one day. And then I started going, all right, man, time wow. to let your guard down time to get, let someone to get you, get to know you and for you to get to know somebody. What a fantastic, interesting way of looking at it. And I think that's something that it sounds like you had to go through so much to get to a level of maturity to reach that perspective. And that's exactly right. Because if it were all, you know, roses, uh, I, I don't think that ultimately, if I went through so much time, if I would have went through the good stuff longer, and mm-hmm. instead of going through bad stuff, if something bad would have occurred, I think I would have had a meltdown and I known how to handle it. So, you know, again, it's, a, it's about looking at all those experiences and finding value. So, so that bad stretch that I had, maybe with the person that wasn't right for me the first time, that, that barometer that you said, or, I mean, there's no way if I hadn't gone through that, I would have ever really looked at her in that way. There's no way. I would have just kept going and it would have been another day. And, you know, and so that, that stuff, those eye-opening, treacherous experiences, while, while debilitating and crippling emotionally and spiritually at times, 
uh, they can crush you and you can, you know, quit or you can go, all right, let's see if we can get out of this one now. All right, let's see if we can pick ourselves up now. That is so true and so smart. It's just, I, I've had similar experiences and I'm just like, that is such a valuable lesson for people to understand that something you view as detrimental or sad or damaging or trauma can turn out to be the lesson that you needed to get to be able to level up to the next thing. And, and it's no question. And you said the proper word to it, maturity, maturity. And so, mm-hmm. you know, emotionally mature, uh, you know, it, I, I didn't step on anybody. I didn't run over anybody, but, uh, but I also didn't really take a whole lot seriously either. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. As seriously as I should have. So, you know, when you get hit over the head with something called life and it, and it takes you really back down to earth and you go, wow, you know, look, this is something I got to go through. And my life was so amazing. What's going on? Why did I go through this? And then you kind of AB it with people that have worse situations. You know, you go, all right, well, I got to come back out of it. And I would not have been emotionally prepared. I say it all the time to her and I, you know, she she probably thinks I'm still not emotionally prepared for anything. But <laughs> but um, you know, look, I would not have I would not have looked at her in that way. I just know it. I had I not gone through a really bad experience experience before that, I wouldn't have wouldn't have really taken it as seriously as as I did. And and I'm glad I did because it's changed my whole life. And so you know, you alluded to that old saying: "Behind every uh, good man is a good woman." And and you really right. do need that support system. You know, you you, you know what, who, whether it's your partner or whatever you need to have somebody not nobody i don't know anybody that can do it with, by themselves and you have five kids now that's right which blows my mind how do you counsel your kids on careers and education and what do you wish that you'd known starting out well they're all different do you like try to interfere in their interests well look that's another lesson you learn as you go along so i had two kids from a previous marriage and i struggled to get them in my life so uh you know that was a, that occupied uh, a large part of my life for about 10 years wow. and ultimately i got them both but then what you do in that situation is you overcompensate right, right you overcompensate right, right, right. and you, i didn't want to give any lessons i didn't want to make any rules i might not have done you know the right thing with those, those two, because I didn't really have as much structure with them. I was just happy to be with them. So always trying to make them happy. And ultimately that might not be the right thing either. That's very uh, true. And so I didn't push them into anything. If they didn't want to play sports, they didn't have to, if they wanted to play sports, they could, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so as, as opposed to saying, why don't you try this and let's do that. And then with my stepkids, you know, they're, they're like, my own kids. I, I love them the same. And, you know, they're just, it's a different thing when you have stepkids and you don't know how much to infringe uh, right, upon, right. you know, what, what their dad is, is trying to tell them and you don't want to interfere over step. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, you know, it's, all, it's a learning lesson across the board. So those two are, for my first marriage are different. And then the stepkids uh, boys are different. And then, you know, a man and I have a child together, Ariana, she's been with me every day, all the whole time. So I feel like all my rules, she listens to all of them. Now I'm <laughs> right. like, this is it. You're, you're going to do this. And, and, you know, although I'm not still not a complete enforcer because she's a girl, so she gets away with yeah. a lot. But, um, you know, it's it's a little bit different. But look how long it's taken me to learn how I want to be as a parent. Like yeah. what worked, what didn't. And you're still learning. It's been over 22 years. So it's like that's the hardest job out of all of them that I've I've learned is being a parent. Oh, 
And you've had that distillation of all these different kinds of, like you were just saying, these different kinds of combinations. You've had to like learn all of these slightly different ways of doing things. And now you have this one where you're just like, all right, you get all of the, you get all the lessons I've learned from all of these other incarnations. That's right. And you know, what's funny is she can take it on. So I I thought, (laughs) I thought before, oh man, you know. I don't want to, you know, make waves with them. And I don't want them to feel upset about this or what, let me buy them this. Right. Uh, and, and all, or, or just tell them, you know, always tell all of them, I love them. Um, but look, you, you, you learn as you go along and I'm learning now. And still I feel like, okay, what else can I do? And, and you're, you're never going to be perfect at that one. That one being a parent racks my brain more than anything. It's really <laughs> difficult because it's hard to make every, my, my thing is I always want to make everybody happy but that's not your job as your, your as a parent. Your job mm-hmm. is to make somebody become prepared, instilled, empowered, uh, and ambitious enough to go out and, and live their dream and treat people with respect. So, uh, you know, it's been quite a lesson f- for me too. It's almost like they've parented me in a way, uh, yeah. you know, teach, taught me quite a few things. I think that's true. And I think I don't have kids, but I imagine one of the hardest things about being a parent is you do all of this work and all of this preparation and all of this teaching and learning and strife in order for your kids to not need you then, you know, like I, I want to teach you and make you ready and make you able and empowered and smart enough to make these decisions so that you can go out and do it by yourself. And that's gotta be such a hard line. (laughs) Yeah, it is because you, you know, you feel, you know, the oldest ones are gone. So that's a vacancy, right? It's almost like they're gone and you mourn something uh, because they're not around all the time or, you know, you can't see them or talk to them or, or be with them or guide them. And you know what, Mm -hmm. when they get to their age and 21 and 18, they don't even want to, they tune you out and they think you're an idiot. They're not. They're tired of your stories and your parables and your, (laughs) your rah-rah speeches and your inspirational Tony Robbins moments. And you know, you know, this is what I did and look what happened. You know, they don't don't want to hear that shit. They just want to go out there and they just want to do their own thing. You know, so, so that part's tough, but also understandable because you reflect and go, look, I want to do my own thing. And, um, so, you know, it's at that point you, you go, all right, you have to have faith. It's up to the gods that hope, hopefully they'll, you know, be protected uh, with whatever decision they make. And that'll be their thing. And then, you know, the, the two other boys are powerful in their own respects and different guys, uh, the two boys in the middle, my stepkids, they're, you know, one's an athlete and one's a, uh, you know, real cerebral, uh, super smart kid who's a, you know, different and sensitive. And so they're completely different. Um, and you know, they rely on me for advice and they come to me for this. They're, they're different. And then of course, the little one. So Ariana, she's like, I'm like, I'm right there all the time. All right. What's going on? You're not doing that. Okay. You're doing that. And fortunately, yeah. you know, again, I keep bringing my wife up and hopefully people aren't getting nauseated by my affinity for her, but you know, she <laughs> contro- she handles it. She knows how to handle all of it. You know, I can usually yeah. just do one thing at a time. You know, she's, she's you know, multitask. Yeah. We like to multitask. Yeah. Um, so knowing you the way I do, I feel like I know partially the answer to this question. What is something that you compete with yourself about? Oh, everything. Exactly. <laughs> That's the worst. I mean, that, if there's one thing, it's it's tough. I would change it and then I wouldn't change it is, is the right. competition I have with myself. And so I know a lot of people that have success, they find somebody that they want to aspire to be like that's in the same peer group as them and they compete against them. Me, I don't do that ever. Never have any way, not in sports, not in theatrics, and not in my music career. And with me, it's like, okay, I look at myself and I see 
a lot of faults, a lot of failure, and a lot of room for improvement at all times. There's not a time when I rest. I get excited at accolades and achievements, but that lasts like about 30 seconds and I'm on to the next thing. And people will go, mm-hmm. man, that's a sad way to be. You're never going to be happy. No, I was happy for that 30 seconds when I <laughs> achieved that award, but now we got we to gotta get on to Moving the on. next 30 seconds. Well, musically, I always want to get better. Vocally, I always want to get better. I always want to get better around people. It's really important. Uh, for me mm-hmm. to get better around people and inspire them, but lead by example. And then, you know, look, uh, as far as physicality, I'm always trying to make sure I look better. You know, I, I'm mm-hmm. really into that. I want to make sure I look better, that I'm I'm healthy uh, and just, you know, mentally what I have to come out with something that I learned every day. And I mean, people go, wow, you really, that's a lot to do. Uh, but I, that's the <laughs> way, a lot to do. but that's the way I'm wired. Uh, there are times when it's exhausting uh, but there are more times when it's rewarding. So uh, that's the way I am. And people go, oh, man, no way. You take breaks. You uh, never. There's never a break. There's never a time. He doesn't. For, for rest. Guys. He doesn't. <laughs> it, it's, it's obsessive to the nth degree. Only, though, when it comes to me. So when we were talking about my kids, never did I push that mentality on them at all. So, and, and, and sometimes again, overcompensated with a couple of them with not doing any of it. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, with me, it's like, I wouldn't wish, you know, sometimes I go, man, I wouldn't wish this obsessiveness on anybody, but it drives you to become a better person. And as long as you're doing it in a way that you see it's productive and you see growth, I feel like it's healthy. And a lot of people go, well, that's unhealthy. You know, look, I've been in plenty of shrinks. They're telling me it's not healthy. And then, you know, they come to the show. You know what I'm saying? You want to autograph. So, hey, doctor, uh, Mr. Unhealthy, I brought my wife and my colleagues from the office. Uh, I'm like, here you go. Let's see you Monday. Uh, But but (laughs) it's like, you know, uh, it's just the way I am. Um, I'm sure at times that, you know, if anybody, my wife would, would want me to chill out a little bit. And take breaks, but I try to make. I try to as I as I get older, I try to make myself. You know, go to bed sometimes. You know, I mean, not at an hour, like just go to bed, and then um, <laughs> just at all yeah, ever go to bed, and then you know, watch some shows or or you know, spend spend some quality time with them and go places and all that stuff. So yeah, you got to have some of that balance, but. Yeah, you know, with me, I see room for improvement daily. And, you know, if I slack off for a little while, I obsess, like literally have to turn on something to watch because I'll go, man, you didn't do this today and you didn't go uh, get better at that and you didn't learn something there. And then, you know, what I'll do is I'll stay up late and I'll sneak on my phone and read something and, and that'll satisfy me until I eventually pass out. But, uh, you know, look, I find it there's a lot of room for improvement. Oh my God. You, uh, it's, it's unbelievable to that, to that point, describe me paradise. Oh man. There's a lot of different versions of that. So, uh, paradise can be something as simple as just waking up before everybody else, or, you know, going to bed later, later than everybody else and seeing everybody <laughs> safe and healthy in your house. Right. Oh, Rest, yeah. Resting peacefully. You know what I'm saying? And in a nice place, right? And you look around. That's true. And it doesn't have to be a palace or a mansion, but you look around and go, look, this is a nice place. Like these kids and my wife have have night. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're rested. You know, they're, they're waking up with smiles and with, and not with a lot of anxiety or angst. And then knowing they're in a safe place and they've got people to take care of and they got people that love them. To me, that's paradise. And then, you know, you, of course you, you've got the cliche ones when you go to these beautiful places around the world, like Australia and Singapore. Singapore and, you know, these beautiful beaches and exotic places and great cultures and, uh, you know, 
that can be paradise. Uh, or, you know, paradise for me was, you know, hearing the song on the radio for the first time after we worked so oh, hard. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, being able to, to express yourself in any way that makes at least one person happy. And that, that can be with some an interaction that nobody has to see, you know, that nobody else has to see. You have interaction with a stranger where you give somebody a, a smile or a nod, or you can't shake anybody's hand anymore, but maybe just shake any somebody's hand or give them a hug or something. And, and you can right. see you made somebody's day by, because you actually paid attention to them, you know, and you were nice to them. Those, it sounds corny, but those kind of things are like, you know, those are, those are the things that kind of stoke the fire for you. Um, and so, you know, paradise for me is all of those things. Oh man, I love that. That's so true. And it's not like you have to find that on a desert Island. It's not like you have to go somewhere or have a lot of money to have any of those experiences. You can bring joy. You can revel in your family's, you know, health and happiness. Like all that is free. And you can even stay in your mind, right? It's really hard, right? Because we're filled with this wiring and these, these chemicals and these emotions, right? Uh, you can stay in your mind. You don't even have to go anywhere. You can stay in your mind and get out of your funk by taking a bunch of deep breaths and thinking of some of the best things that have happened to you. And that can change your physiology and your mind frame and your attitude in a matter of in, in a matter of minutes. Sometimes it's just sometimes so hard to do that because we want to we want to own the own the energy and be upset and you know be pissed off. But you know ultimately. You can't control any of that stuff and you can go inside your mind. You can go, oh man, remember that Christmas? Remember grandma did this or, or any of that oh, stuff yeah. and, and you don't have to even leave your house sometimes and you can get that bliss. That's so true. I love it. Aw, I'm going to do all of these things. Okay, I'm, I'm loving talking to you. Um, what's something you're looking forward to? What can we look forward to seeing from you? What are you looking forward to after we get out of our houses? What's, what's happening? I want to see what's next. I mean, look, with 98 Degrees, we were really uh, touring in a prolific manner. We were, you know, had many, many dates on on the books. And that was sort of, uh, you know, when that group comes calling, we drop everything and we all, you know, and when we're having fun, we go do that because that's right. that's like something, you know, none of us can, can do on our own, right? So uh, we expected that and now that's gone for now. So I'm excited to see what's next. I mean, you know, I, I, again, I think creating from the home, finding a way to do things from the home, these, these entertainment shows or these contests, or, you know, uh, there are some new technologies that are emerging that I've been having, you know, webinars and, uh, you know, uh, virtual meetings about this week that are pretty exciting in the, on the horizon. Yeah. And, and some of it's as a result of this, this pandemic was a catalyst for some of this great emerging technology. Oh, for sure. There's technology that, that people need now that we didn't think we needed until this happened. Yeah. I think those things are exciting and to be a part of some of those things are very exciting. And then as far as I go, you, you know, just, I love to perform and, and that's great and, and all that stuff. And it's, it's, you know, my wife's like, oh, you're, you know, you're trying to say you're behind the scenes, but you glow when you're on stage and she's right. I love, <laughs> I love, I love it. And I'm not trying to say that I'm trying to always be behind the scenes and all that stuff, but I don't expect to be performing uh, on stage forever. So, uh, you know, trying to develop things uh, behind the scenes. It's interesting to see what they'll do with our kids in school. And my my uh, yeah. my oldest son, he he graduates this year and he didn't get to walk. Uh, you know, I was disappointed in that. I don't know if he, if he really, you know, to, it doesn't mean as much to some of the kids uh, today as it did to us, all that stuff. Yeah, Mom right, and graduation. Right, right. But, but, you know, I wanted to see that. But happy he's graduating, proud of him. But 
to me, just just to see what how people emerge from this. Uh, you know, hopefully people will emerge better. And I, I'm I'm a, uh, always an idealist that I think that this is going to have made people better. Everybody's going to be stronger. I think that uh, you know you, you've you've seen some bad parts of people during this, uh, yeah. but I think that uh, positivity and the way people emerge and how how they're approaching creative and how they approach it to each other is inspiring to me and exciting to me dude thank you so much for coming thanks for chatting i hope that when we get out of this we all like live in jeffrey timmons world because <laughs> well, it sounds it sounds great <laughs> well look it's definitely not perfect and uh you know but i can't i don't have any complaints and uh i appreciate you having me on and i love you to death and i'm so proud and happy that you're doing this and I can't wait to see you in person and give you a hug. And, and hopefully, uh, hopefully that'll be sooner than later. I really appreciate all the nice things you said, too. Thank you. Oh, of course. All right. Thanks for the time. It went by fast. I know, right? Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much, Jeffrey. Thanks, Bree. And thank you guys so much for listening to episode six of The Research Project with Jeff Timmons. So wise, that Jeff Timmons. I hope you guys are able to glean some life lessons from that episode and maybe learned a few things. If you have questions that you would like to submit to be on the podcast or guests that you think would be interesting or interested, head on over to breecube.com backslash research where you can find all the episodes and the show notes and hit me up with suggestions right on the website or go to our Instagram at research and contact us there as well. See you guys next time. <laughs>